This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. What is poppin' Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli, coming back at you with NBA Max founder and editor-in-chief and Bleacher Report editor, Adam Frommel. Please follow him on Twitter, at Frommel09. We're going to continue chugging along with our Decade Player Ranking Series. I feel like I need to come, we need to come up with a better way for me to intro this. It just does not roll off the tongue, Decade Player Ranking Series. We are on to the Houston Rockets, though. We're going to have the top 10 players for you from the Rockets for this past decade, determined, as always, by both Adam, myself, and you guys, insofar as you voted, which you definitely had the ability to do. Before we get started, the super-duper quick reminder, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you're consuming your podcasts. Please also follow us on Twitter, at Hardwood Knox, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, where you can listen to these podcasts, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox, we will be right there. Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm I'm really excited that we're at a point in this series where we get to a franchise where there's going to be a lot of controversy over the number one spot. Yeah. <laughs> have, have we had, looking back at the teams we've done, have there really been any controversial number one picks yet? Not really. No, I, I think most of them have been like fairly obvious. I'm like, I'm trying to think maybe Brooklyn. I'm like trying to look back because I actually have the document in front of me of what we did. But, like, no, because you had Brooke Lopez there, Kemba Walker in Charlotte. I guess Chicago. Chicago the, was definitely – we had yeah. the top three the top three candidates. We had uh, Noah, Rose, and Butler, and those were kind of, like, very interchangeable pieces, which was good. Yeah, this is the only one, unless anyone thinks maybe there was a debate for – and there was between us, apparently, for the Celtics. You had IT and I had Paul Pierce still – and then maybe if anyone thought that someone should have been over Mil- uh, Al Horford in Atlanta, which not really. but I don't think not- anyone did, yeah. So we've really only had Boston, a little bit of controversy. And then there was like a real debate for Chicago's number one spot. And now there's going to be this huge mammoth debate about the number one spot in Houston because I have no idea who to put there. Right. I mean, if you invalidate all of the times that James Harden has traveled or gotten unnecessary whistles, like, is he really the number one player? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to number one, how many people do you think just turned it off? This is not a James hating Harden, uh, a James Harden hating podcast. He is a consensus what top five player, top three player. He's right there. 
Oh, absolutely. So I think we're both. I think we're both fans of Harden. Like I, I tend to to fall on the defending him side. Like if if you're you're going to exploit rules, good for you. Like more people should do that if if you can. Yeah, it's not a gimmick. It's a strategy, and it works. That's I mean, yeah. maybe it's not the most watchable form of basketball, but he's he's damn good at it. And yeah, I poke fun at him, but he's. I don't know that anyone can't recognize that he's just this mega star. We're getting. Right. It. I, I think there there are points, but there, I mean there are points where we're like, is he? legitimately in the conversation as like the most effective offensive player ever. Yeah. And he's certainly got to be in the top five and definitely in that conversation. This is a conversation though, that we should be saving 10 spots from now. So can you take us to call a teaser? Come on. This is like a spoiler. I don't know if it's a (laughs) teaser. Can you take us to who came in at number 10 for the Rockets in our decade player rankings that we're open to having new names for apparently, or at least a new way of me introing it. Right, yeah. No, this is one of the the rare teams where there was like actually some controversy over which ten players were going to be included. So Russell Westbrook barely missed out. He was uh, ninth place on the fans. He did not appear on either of our top tens, though. I imagine we both at least considered him. Um, I had Terrence Jones in my tenth spot. He did not make it into the overall top ten because Dan single handedly bumped Luis Scola into uh, into the tenth and final spot on the composite rankings. You're welcome. To everyone, all the Luis Cola fans out there, as well as, you know, Luis Cola's family. You're welcome for single-handedly pushing him into the top ten. I'm, yeah, I'm going to say you're welcome to the country of Argentina. Is that better? That's that's pretty valid. Yeah. Um, I, I, I strongly considered him um, before going with Jones. Um, I, I also thought about uh, Kevin Martin and Kyle Lowry. Scola definitely would have made it had we included the entirety of his career with Houston. But it was just t- it was tough because the first three seasons did not count because we're only looking at 2010-11 through the present, which means that we only have 140 games of him in Houston. And granted, like he was very effective for those 140 games. You know, an efficient scorer, um, capable of, of making mid-range jumpers, of operating in the post, uh, kicking out when he needed to. Never glamorous, but just consistently effective. Yeah, and I, that's really just why I put him there. Kind of an understated. Uh, secondary playmaker as well, or like you said, not making these complicated reads, but maybe making the the right pass. Definitely not the the best defender, but someone who I think at that time, when you looked at what big men were doing on offense, he was just just a little bit more versatile than the average big man. Wasn't shooting threes in Houston at that point, and he turned into someone who didn't really shoot them too efficiently. He had that one season in Toronto where he banged in 65 of them on 161 attempts, but I just kind of appreciate the rock solidness with which he he played in Houston. He's also just one of those guys overall where you you wonder a little bit how he might have fared had he entered the NBA a little bit earlier before his age 27 season, which did not, again, fall under the purview of this discussion. Right. Yeah. He and he and Jones were really close um, in in my my personal rankings. I I ultimately went with with Terrence Jones just because he, he spent a little bit more time playing for the Rockets, and I don't think he, he reached quite as high a level, but his his ability in transition, um, the the stretchiness he started to show before he moved on to the New Orleans Pelicans and, and Milwaukee Bucks before returning to Houston for a weird two-game stint last season, um, it, w- it was just enough to nudge him ahead, though I, I don't think that one is obviously ahead of the other. This was the one where there probably could have been like, six to eight players put in the 10 spot that you have a yeah, viable case for sure. to make. Who came in at number nine though? 
At number nine, we're, we're moving into the guys who were more consensus options. Um, and if you just heard my dogs bark, that's amazing because we were literally talking before this podcast started about how my two dogs have not made any appearances during this series. And that was shocking. So you're welcome. Um, Within seven minutes, too. It's not even like they – it's just uncanny how that happened. <laughs> right. It's amazing. We totally jinxed it. But anyway, number nine, we have Chandler Parsons. He was 10th on the fan vote. He was 9th for me. He was up at 7th for you. Um, I, I, I think it's it's pretty easy to conflate the beginning of Chandler Parsons' career with the end-slash-current portion of Parsons' career, which is unfortunate for him because he was legitimately turning into a star in Houston before moving to Dallas and, and the knee injuries just wrecking his career. But his last season with the Rockets, 2013-14, he averaged 16.6 points, 5.5 rebounds, 4.0 assists, 1.2 steals. He shot 37% on threes while taking 4.7 per game. Like Talk about a do-everything Swiss Army knife who was just really effective in a lot of areas. Right, and you look at like kinds of the shots that he was taking that he hit over 50% of his twos for his, his entire career in Houston those three seasons, and particularly the, the final two when he was just a much bigger part of their offense. A super big accomplishment on his behalf. And then, again, just this pretty good passer, probably someone who, if he were healthy now, maybe would have liked to see him play even more for back then since he was, uh, you know, he dabbled in it, but that really happened more so in Memphis is where he was used mostly at the four. You still kind of viewed him as this three in Houston. And I feel like he could have been super mismatchy if he got more minutes with the Rockets at the power forward spot, just a really well-rounded potent offensive player though. And when you're looking at, you know, you have James Harden uh, on those teams, um, excuse me, in 2012, 2013, 2013, 2014, just a guy that complimented him really nicely. I thought, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, he had those two pretty good seasons in Dallas plus those final two seasons in Houston, but they they're almost getting lost to now what we've seen since when he entered free agency again, really didn't play in those three years in Memphis and then had only played in five games with the Hawks this season. I do. This has really nothing to do with the conversation. I was sort of mildly shocked that it seemed Grizzlies fans were so hostile towards Chandler Parsons at the end. I get when a max contract doesn't pan out, but he didn't force the Grizzlies to give him that, max contract unless they just don't think he took his recovery seriously enough I just never really I never understand the hostility toward players themselves about the money that they're making they shouldn't be I don't think they should be taking less unless they want to that's their prerogative and again he wasn't holding anyone hostage in fact I he probably chose Memphis over Portland during that what was a 2016 free agency where I believe Portland also had a max contract offer out to him. And that was just an interesting way for his tenure to, to end with the Grizzlies. Obviously disappointing. Again, I just didn't fully understand the, the hostility. Can you find where we had him ranked among free agents heading into 2016? I can't. I, I, I feel like it's, bit. it's probably one of those that isn't going to have aged well, but I, I think it was justifiable at the time, just given how the NBA was already trending towards the switchability and the the spacing on offense. And he really did seem to to check all those boxes. I mean, I, I would I would think that if he had stayed healthy, that we're still talking about him as an all-star threat, regardless of which conference he ends up in. It, it just didn't pan out because of those knee injuries. And to your point about the hostility from Memphis, like I I, I also had that impression because it always seemed to me like and and granted we don't know what was happening behind the scenes, but I would imagine the fans don't either. 
Um, Maybe they were tired of his yoga pictures or something. I honestly don't know. (laughs) But it seemed like he kept trying to make comebacks. It wasn't like he just mailed it in after the injuries happened. Like he, he seemed to want to keep coming back. And they didn't want him at the end. He wanted to to play. And they were just basically like, no, because they were going through the rebuild, obviously. In entering 2016 free agency, we had him sandwiched between Harrison Barnes and Dwight Howard in the number 14 spot. Not incredibly egregious. Hmm. If there were any other noteworthy names ahead of him, aside from Harrison Barnes, we had Kent Bazemore behind him. Evan Fournier was behind him. Those are names that have panned out better, but Jordan Clarkson, that's not really a big deal. If we had gone, you know, Festus I feel fine Azealy, with that. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that didn't age too poorly. No, and even like Festus Azili, like talk about another promising guy who is derailed by injury problems. Right. What up, Hardwood Knox listeners? There's no shortage of action going on in our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7 as well. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on Bet Online's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with the ex Chicago Bulls, Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Who did we have come in at number, I think it's a tie for number seven. We don't even have a number eight. It is a tie. We'll start with uh, with Eric Gordon, who is one of the uh, the two tied for number seven. And he had one of the uh, the biggest splits between the three members of our of our panel here. The fans had him up at number four, which... I don't think I'm surprised by just because his scoring, he he has posted such glamorous, big scoring numbers. Um, I had him at eight and you had him down at 10. I don't don't think we've seen any players who have like that type of disparity, not between just like two members of the panel, but between all three. Yeah, I don't, I could, I could easily, I think have put him over, I guess, Scola and Dwight Howard. I had Dwight Howard at number nine for what it's worth. I know he's one of the two tied for number seven, but Look, Eric Gordon has been super valuable to what the the Rockets do. He has sort of the not sort of he has the capacity to to do some stuff off the dribble. His his super long threes really help space out the Rockets' offense, even when they're falling at below league average rates. It's the volume that I think the Rockets do in certain instances, depending on the shot value, almost just as much as how often it's going in. And then I, my guess would be Rockets fans probably value what he's done defensively more than someone like us would where we're zooming in for just a couple games, you know, chopping in to watch the Rockets here and there because he has been put up against threes. It's not where he has to cover these easier guards. He takes on some pretty tough assignments. And a lot of that has had to do with, uh, you know, when you had Chris Paul there, like, yeah, you could, it gave you more optionality with Eric Gordon, but they, they, and Patrick Beverly, but now also the burn's kind of a little bit heavier because Russell Westbrook is not Patrick Beverly or Chris Paul on, on the defensive end. So, I could see them definitely appreciating that more. That That's totally fair. When you're kind of in these, at least for me, when we're looking at seven through 10, you're, you're probably splitting hairs on many levels. Russell Westbrook appreciates you saying that he's not Patrick Beverly, just for the record. I feel, I feel very confident in that. But yeah, I, with, with Gordon, I think it, it's, it was difficult to, to figure out how to value him here because a lot of the numbers besides that pure points per game column are, are lackluster. Like he hasn't shot the ball 
particularly well. He doesn't generate a lot of assists in the Houston offense, but just having him has been such a luxury for Houston, whether he's coming off the bench to anchor a second unit or if he's playing in three guard lineups, as he's so often done and giving them optionality on both ends. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of things that he's done that can't really be quantified, which is an interesting thing to say about a guy who, who fills the, the volume shooter archetype, because normally it's the opposite. Um, he's, he's just, he's a unique player. And more than that, I think he's had a, a really strange career. You know, I, I, I still, I still associate him with those Clippers teams where it seemed like he was going to be the next superstar, just uber athletic, uh, a promising shooter. And then the knee injuries held him back as he transitioned to New Orleans. And then it's, it's kind of shocking that he's only been in Houston for four years because it seems so much longer than that. But he's, he's found a way to fill so many different roles and continue to add value even when his shot isn't falling, which I don't think we could have expected a half decade ago. Right. 31.9% on threes this season. That's certainly not going to help his case. Another guy, though, who has done well in free agency for himself, getting that four year, fifty two so. million dollar deal uh, from the Pelicans and restricted free agency, I believe it was, and then he is he signs that big deal with Houston and then gets that huge extension this past summer, actually from Houston, four years, seventy five point six. The final season is not guaranteed though. I think it's contingent upon them winning the finals or something like that. I would I would have to double double check that. And so he's he's entered. I don't even know if I should say he's entered free agency. At the right time, he's just done really well for himself when it comes to signing new contracts. Because again, that last one was an extension. And then I don't really consider restricted free agency free agency just because teams have all the control right. in that situation. So, oh yes, his his final season, uh, it guarantees in full only if he's named an all-star or the team wins a championship before that season. That's an interesting non-guarantee. That is a very interesting non-guarantee. I like it. Uh, the other number seven, though, was Dwight Howard. Give me your thoughts on Houston-era Dwight Howard. So Houston-era Dwight Howard ranks sixth for the fans. He was seventh for me, and he was ninth for you. Um, another weird tenure because he so obviously butted heads with with James Harden. They clearly did not like playing with each other. Dwight was very much still in the I-need-my-post-touches, give-me-the-post-touches, even-if-they-don't-always-work phase of his career. But he was still effective. You know, he was he was a, an all star in 2013, 14, maybe more because of reputation than actual production. But he did average 18 and 12 for that season. And, and he continued to be an effective double double threat for the next two years with the Rockets. Was he a star? Not really, even if he was nominally an all star. Um, but I, I think that that his his tenure in Houston tends to be a little bit undersold because we remember more the drama and the exit than the beginning of his time alongside Harden. Right. I don't know if I'm just sort of weighing the anecdotal stuff a little too much where it just seemed like his tenure in Houston was such a massive failure. They only make one deep playoff run and then they get trampled by the Warriors in in the conference finals. I think it was in 2015. Which is understandable. Right. I mean, it was the Warriors. Although the Warriors weren't the Warriors at that point, though, to be fair. Their first sure. championship season. Uh, but then they did meet them in the first round in 2016, and that's not a matchup that anybody wanted to see. It was just his tenure in Houston did not age well because it came increasingly clear that he just wasn't as useful for what he wanted to, to do and that someone like Clint Capella would be easier to fit because he would go at – he would – 
he wouldn't have a problem operating within that very specific wheelhouse. And that's something mm-hmm. Dwight Howard has grappled with since leaving Orlando because the league has changed. He's gotten older and less effective on those post-ups to begin with. And it does seem like something finally clicked for him with the Los Angeles Lakers this past season, but just sort of, you know, too little, too late. Not His career was never really needed to be salvaged. He's never necessarily wanted for a job. Uh, but th- just his inability to make that adjustment with Houston or B, I think the best version or the version that they needed, the version that would have maximized uh, that team, I-, I feel like it is something that that can be and was held, held against him for me. Yeah, I, I mean, like like we've said, it, it's it's difficult to balance the on and off court stuff here. I think with him more than any other player um, with with Houston in the last decade. And on the flip side of that equation is a guy who is consistently boosted because of the intangibles that he brings. And that's PJ Tucker, who checks in at number six for us. He was number eight for the fans. He was number five for both of us. Um, But just the ability and the willingness to play center as a six, five guy operating in a, a, potentially trend-setting super small ball lineup um, that speaks volumes about the the grit and the tenacity and the toughness that he's shown and, and attempted to lend his identity to the franchise as a whole yeah and look the Rockets defense hasn't always been good when he's at the five so let's make that clear it has been incredibly stingy when he plays with Rocco as his foreman but the bandwidth to have to play center and where he's not necessarily always defending centers, like the, the positionality that he gives you on the defensive end is is crazy. And then I don't think he's missed a corner three since coming to Houston either. Like that's a, a huge deal. And that's, that's part of his value too, is he is so seamless on the offensive end. It's not just someone who doesn't need touches. He's someone who doesn't need a certain number of shots, doesn't need a certain involvement in the offense, and it's not going to affect his defensive motor or engagement at all. And that's really tough to find. And he has really, I know the front office's imprints, specifically Daryl Morey, they have their imprints all over this, but like the model they're trying to lean into in Houston right now, it's not just, it it doesn't exist without PJ Tucker. For all that James Harden has done to where they don't even really need ball screens anymore for him, it's like, let's cut out that middleman quite literally and let James Harden cook. What they're doing at this moment or what they've gone to, the extremes that they're traveling are impossible without PJ Tucker on this team. And I just don't think that that can be overstated enough. Is he as valuable a player in the NBA right now as it gets without scoring double digits per game? You know, cause he's only averaging 7.1. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, I, that wouldn't even be a question. I think maybe we could even broaden that stroke to, is he as valuable as it gets among non-stars? He's got to be at least up there. Like he's the yeah. he's the guy that I think every contender should want, even if you're not trying to play small all the time, because he's so seamless on offense and because he gives you not only that defensive engagement, but it's just it's so much optionality on that end of the floor. We're gonna set a record for the number of times you say optionality in one podcast. I, I view that as one of the words that I associate most strongly with you. So I was proud that I got to use it earlier in this episode. <laughs> Thoughts? Any thoughts remaining? Lingering thoughts on PJ Tucker, or do you just want to go into my my overused vocabulary words? We could do that. I too. prefer the overused vocabulary words. I think that's uh, I think your your vocabulary is like the PJ Tucker of the podcast. You know, it doesn't it doesn't get a lot of credit, but it wouldn't be the same without it. Oh, that was sweet. I'm gonna blush. <laughs> so anyway, number five, 
We have uh, we have Trevor Ariza at number five. He was number five for the fans. I had him up at number three. Uh, you had him down at number six. Um, this was really the first instance where where thereness, which is a concept we've discussed in every episode here, really really mattered for me because Ariza, he's one of two players um, alongside James Harden who has played um, five digit minutes throughout the last decade in Houston. He's played 10,831 minutes. That's well clear of Clint Capella in third place and everyone else. Um, and those weren't just filler minutes. You know, one of the one of the true 3 and D guys um, through and through. Uh, and, and really, I, I don't think without Ariza's contributions, the Rockets lean as heavily into the small ball stylings and set the stage for P.J. Tucker to take that to an extreme. No, for sure. And he, you know, he not someone who's going to defend centers, but can definitely play up to the four. And like you said, he, he really just typifies three and D and shouts to him, by the way, he's, I, I've mentioned it on this podcast before. He is a free agency mercenary and I absolutely love it. He's just following the bag and then he'll get traded mid season to a better team. He'll figure it out later. That's I, I totally respect it. Um, he hit, wait, wait, time out, time out. Because that is, that's the cue for our first trivia question of the episode. Oh no. So click away from his page if you're if you're looking at it. I'm not on his page. I'm on a. I'm not on his page. All right, he's played for nine teams. How many can we get? Oh no! All right, Lakers, Knicks, Kings, Rockets, Suns. Hold on, Lakers, Knicks, Kings, Kings, Rockets, Rockets, Suns, Suns, Wizards. How many is that? You have gotten six of the nine. That's not bad, just right off the cuff. That's not bad. But that might be where I top out. I'm trying to go mentally through the teams in the league in my head right now. Why do I feel like... No, I'm not going to say it because I know I'm wrong. So you're welcome for not saying it. I, I want to know what you were going to say, though. Maybe I'll tell you. I was going to say, did he ever <laughs> play for... I was going to ask if he ever played for the Warriors. I don't know why they were just in my in my mind. But I'm not, I'm not counting... Ariza and Kent Bazemore are different people. New Orleans. He played for the Hornets. Uh, played for the Hornets. That's seven. That's seven. All right, we're cooking, we're cooking. No, no. This is like, I can go through the teams alphabetically in my head and I'm still going to miss all of this. What am I up to? I'm up to seven? You're up to seven of the nine. <sighs> I don't, I think I'm going to top out there. Am I missing an obvious one? Let me know that. Oh, yeah, oh, you're missing Portland. His, yeah, Portland. his current team. <laughs> Portland, all right. That's eight. All right, that's eight. Well done. Am I going to, I'm never going to get the ninth? <sighs> I feel like you could... Because it set the stage for his Lakers tenure, but he wasn't good there. I'm gonna, I'm, I give up. I'm gonna kick myself for not naming it. He was on the Magic for a little while. No, I never would have got that. I are we sure this is like Vince Carter being on the Suns? Did it ever actually happen? It uh, yeah. I mean, he played 89 games over three seasons right before three he went seasons? to LA. I do not remember yeah. this at all. Yeah, and it was it was part of three seasons. He started 2005, 2006 with the Knicks and then moved to Orlando. And then he started 2007, 2008 with the Magic and moved to the Lakers. This is a little teaching lesson for me. I I apparently Still, I'm impressed. That was that was 8 of 9. That's that's 89%. That's a that's a strong B+. <laughs> Would you have gotten the Magic? Absolutely. No, probably not. Okay. <laughs> I want to know who else would have gotten probably the Magic not. that's not an Orlando Magic fan because I don't remember this at all. And I'm not even trying to be like an a-hole here. I do not remember him playing for the Magic at all. Anyway, you were saying that he was a free agency mercenary, and that was a fantastic cue. But if you'd like to continue, <laughs> the, the floor is yours again. 
He hit 743s during his time with the Rockets. That is a monstrous number. For even That's like one Steph Curry season. Right, basically. Maybe like half a Steph Curry season right around there. Right. I'm just curious as to why. It, was it just a thereness that had you slingshot him up to, would you have him at three? Yeah, it was. It, I, I felt like two through two through five were pretty interchangeable for me. Just the guys who were obviously good role players and spent a significant amount of time there. Um, and I, I had trouble differentiating between those. I tended to to err more on the long tenured guys in Houston because they've done such a good job promoting and and having role players excel um, than the the one or two season mercenaries. You know, the Russell Westbrooks, the Chris Pauls, who who will get to um, with with Paul. That makes sense. No arguments here. Who we got at number four? At number four, we have the one and only Patrick Beverly. Um, so the fans had him down at seven, which surprised me. I would have expected him to be much more of a fan favorite given the intensity with which he plays. I had him at four. You had him at two. Um, he spent five seasons in Houston at the beginning of his career and, and really forged that intense defensive reputation for himself there while developing into a a quality sharpshooter. Um, so yeah, I, I was, I was surprised that the fans didn't have him higher here. Well, I think what we're dealing with is now Russell Westbrook fans are now. Oh uh, yeah. So like yeah. We got some bias over. working here. And then yeah. maybe there were some incumbent Rockets fans who were just going to roll with the team no matter what. And so now they're team Russell over Bevs. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. So I put him too. And my whole thing was, I don't think that this team ever sort of gets to the point where they can one acquire Chris Paul without what Patrick Beverly was doing or right. to where James Harden is so effective without Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly plays a ball dominant position by doing just the opposite, which is not dominating the ball. And yeah, I do you wish he turned the ball over less when he was running pick and rolls. Sure. Maybe had a little bit more punch off the dribble, but he can still attack the rim. He's a great catch and shoot uh, three point guy. Those are huge. Like that's your point guard position. And then you're at the other end where has his reputation been mythologized a little bit? Maybe, but if we're... I don't even think so. I think he's that good on the ball. And look, that's what... The thing is, is like when you're going up against other point guards, you're almost writing that matchup off no matter who you have, almost regardless of who you have defending the opposing point guard. You never really got to that point with Patrick Beverly. It was a wild card where it seemed like he he could sort of neuter some of his opponents regardless of how starry they are. And then the... The Clippers and the Rockets have both taken it to extremes, so they've thrown him on bigger players. Just his defensive mentality, even if you think that some of the plays were dirty, and definitely the stuff he did with Russell Westbrook where he's going after the ball uh, following the whistle. That's totally uh, uncalled for. That that grit, that tenacity, that intensity, I really just appreciate it. And I think that he has shaped the Rockets around James Harden more than, than anyone is really giving him credit for. I 100% agree with you. I don't think that those teams happen without him because Harden is such a unique offensive player who doesn't necessarily always play point guard, but demands the ball and and dribbles it in perpetuity, which is often a good thing for him. And to have a, a player who accepted his role as a weird point guard who, how many times do we, we call a point guard a, a true three and D guy, but that's what he was. <laughs> What that's is. what he was and that's it yeah it's 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 weird to think about because you know for so many years we 
we had that idea of a pure or true point guard, whatever the hell that was supposed to mean. And Beverly is like the exact opposite of that. And that's what made him so effective and and what allowed the Rockets to become this record-breaking offense that they've become. Right. And so he's just when you remember him and you know, his story is probably part of it where it's just going from obscurity to, to rising with the Rockets into one of the NBA's premier role player. I would say, regardless of how you feel as an opposing fan right now, he's also someone he's like the PJ Tucker of point guards. Like you want him on every single championship team. I would a contender. I would think there's not someone that would look at. Yeah. Even if you have other point guards, someone who could come off the bench or play next to them because he doesn't need the ball on offense and he'll defend whoever on defense. And so that's why I put him up to number two. I totally understand there are other candidates here, but I was actually a little bit surprised that he was so low for the fans, even if we're going to bake in the whole Russell Westbrook now plays for the Rockets and and Patrick Beverly does not equation. There was an obvious tier within our composite rankings where everyone from two to five was tightly packed together. So really Ariza Beverly and then the next two guys we're going to talk about um, could have gone in any direction here. Uh, And number three is Chris Paul. Um, who the fans had up at number two, um, I had down at number six, and you split the difference at number three. Um, I couldn't put him any higher just because there are so many guys who have spent a lot of time in Houston playing valuable basketball, and as good as he was, he only played 58 games in each of the two seasons that he was in Houston, and his injury against the Warriors, um, it was against the Warriors, right? I'm not misremembering that. Correct. Yeah, yeah. sparked their collapse and that's it's hard to blame him for that you know we're talking about a a point guard who's who's midway into his 30s but it mattered you know that that was the lasting memory of his Houston tenure and I say this as as someone who Chris Paul is one of my all-time favorite players you know he's like the exact style of basketball that I enjoy watching flopping um do what flopping I love flopping it's been around forever it's been around forever. If you can trick the refs, good for you. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, like I I just I couldn't I couldn't in my head move him up any higher over these guys who have who have spent more time um, and whose lasting memories aren't aren't the the injury that that precipitated the the fall. The thing that I think actually works in favor of him though is the Rockets went from fringe contender to bona fide championship contender when he came and despite everything that happened look at what Montrez Harrell has become with the Clippers Lou Williams even Patrick Beverly how important they are and you can still make a case that forget what happened afterward with the Russell Westbrook date but that Chris Paul was worth it for the Rockets to give up he 100% was 100% was and And I'm not trying to knock what he did in Houston I didn't put him in I didn't put him in number two either so uh, you know preaching to the choir here I do think, though, the argument that you're making, sort of the what if and then the injuries, that kind of that can technically work in favor of him because the Rockets might have won a championship if not for Chris Paul's hamstring. And that's a testament to Chris Paul, just as much right. as it is a testament against Chris uh, Paul. It 100% is. And, and like I've said, we're splitting hairs between these or guys from, from really two to six, or hamstrings, unfortunately. But yeah, he could – I don't know – I, I guess I could see, given that you put someone else at number two, I put someone else at number two, definitely a case to put him at number two. It is sort of weird to have that about someone who was only in Houston for two seasons, and then we have spent a little bit of time talking about the circumstances around which certain players have left Houston, cough, Dwight, cough, and he didn't, those were not the rosiest circumstances no. for him to leave. I no, do, no, no. There does seem to be like more of an agreeable consensus that 
it wasn't really like it just wasn't working. And because they actually had more success with him, it's probably easier to understand. He wasn't viewed as an anchor for Harden, is I guess what I'll say. Right. Yeah. Ultimately, he's he's seventeenth in minutes played for the franchise in the last decade. He's behind Ryan Anderson, Kevin Martin, Corey Brewer, Kyle Lowry, Jeremy Lin, who somehow didn't appear on any ballots, which I know surprised us. But yeah, I just he he would have had to be totally transcendent with that limited amount of time to rise any higher on my ballot, given how many valuable players there have been. And maybe he was close to that level, but only for 116 games and, and not in the biggest playoff series of, of the, of his tenure there. Big Chris Paul. It feels, it feels weird that I'm saying bad things about Chris Paul. Cause that like never happens. You're compelled to demean their case or their value when we're making these arguments, which is not right. I'll, I'll look, I'll never forget, what was it, game five in Utah? I can't remember which one it was, where he just decided that the Rockets weren't going to lose, and so he took it over and yeah. just obliterated the Jazz. Just one of the best basketball players of all time. And if the season Where's resumes, he in your point guard rankings? He's, to me... Not current, all time, all time. Probably two or three. I don't know who I yeah. have behind Magic right now. It's either Steph or Chris Paul, and I, I think they're... If if I pick Paul for two, Steph's probably three for me, and I, I might guess that Steph finishes two all time, but he's top three for me for sure. I'm in the same boat, and I think he's he's closer to magic than we think. When you look at the numbers, even his playoff numbers, it's really just the absence of team success where he doesn't have I, a ton of conference finals appearances. He doesn't have a championship, obviously, never made it to the finals. That seems to be the, the singular thing holding him back, and maybe a little bit people think that he's a shitty teammate, which I guess could potentially be true, but it seemed like the Thunder with a lot of they really weren't that young, but Shea Gilders Alexander seemed to enjoy playing with him. Like that team really seemed to embrace him. And so maybe it just takes the the right set of circumstances. Maybe he's not someone who can play with a, a, an equal to a T just because he and Harden were on the same level. And if you're with Oklahoma city, you can even look at Blake in Los Angeles. Yeah. Chris Paul was clearly better, but they kind of had the same level of, of stardom and where in Oklahoma city, he's not dealing with that. And he obviously never dealt with that while he was playing in, in New Orleans, perhaps that's a little bit of it. There are there are things to nitpick with Chris Paul, but just even his playoff numbers for a guy who hasn't made it to the finals, who's only made he's only made two conference finals appearances, right? Did he make? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for someone who hasn't, his numbers in the playoffs are just absolutely insane. And he's I been one of the best playoff contributors of all time, shooting a hundred percent from mid range. And I won't listen to cases to the contrary. I'm I'm right with you. But I, yeah, I mean, like I think that's one of the narratives about the NBA that frustrated me the most over the last decade is using Chris Paul's lack of playoff success to knock him and his historical standing because he's been phenomenal. You know, the, the playoffs are supposed to be a time when smaller guards struggle. He, he hasn't. You know, his his shot has remained consistent. He's been an impactful defender. His passing somehow elevates to another level. Um, he's been unbelievably good in the playoffs. And I, I really hope that down the road that doesn't continue to be held against him because in all likelihood, he's not going to earn a ring unless he ends up serving as a mercenary really deep into his thirties. Um, I'll tell you right do now, we, do Lakers, we really remember Lakers fans are hoping there's an amnesty right. clause in the new CBA that uh, ends up right. The Thunder cut their losses and Chris Paul ends up in Los do Angeles. We, do we remember that Dominique Wilkins never made a conference finals? Like that's, I don't think now, I, I think enough time has passed now that that isn't really the first or one of the first things that come to mind when you think about that hall of fame player. And I hope that 
something similar happens a decade from now where we can remember Chris Paul how he deserves to be remembered and not because he happened to play for teams where you know Blake Griffin gets hurt and they get knocked out of the playoffs or they run into terrible matchups or he gets hurt and they get knocked out of the playoffs um just it's it's been a, a string of, of bad luck and and poor circumstances but he's been phenomenal as an individual and that's all you can ask I do think time will help once he's retired but so many arguments are still boiled down to count the rings. It's It happens with Kobe. It happens with Jordan. Um, they care about the records in the finals. It doesn't matter that LeBron has had a zillion bites at the apple. It's that because he's he's only gotten three apples that it that it matters. So there's I think there's always going to be that level of debate. But maybe it, when you're talking about guys on just a, a separate tier, although I actually that's not a conversation I want to have right now. But I, maybe with time, I do think that Chris Paul's reputation will improve. I still do think if he doesn't end up winning a ring that there's always going to be that element against him. And it does feel a little bit of just because that's what so many conversations when you're looking at all time arguments, that's what they tend to boil down to sometimes. And maybe we'll move beyond the ring arguments as a consensus. I think basketball media members and many fans have moved beyond it, but I also think there are a ton of people from both sections, media members and fans that still really lean on the ring counts. Look, I'm just glad that the people who use ring counts are consistent and like unanimously agree that Robert Ori is better than Michael Jordan and that Bill Russell is really the greatest player of all time. Like the consistency in those arguments is is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I agree with you. Can we move on to the consensus number two? You don't want to keep airing our grievances about historical things? I almost got into an all-time debate that I didn't even want to have. And it's not even one that I'm, I was 100% sure of, so I'm glad I didn't say anything. That's like, I just, I'm teasing I want to know what it is spoken. now. Maybe, yeah. I'll t- maybe I'll tell you off air. I feel like we're on the Hoop Collective right now with the amount of things that we're teasing and we're not talking about. <laughs> so uh, anyway, back on topic. At number two, we have Clint Capella. Um, he was number two for me. He was number three for the fans, and he was number four for you. So I think we at least all agreed that that he was in that tier where he deserved to be talked about as a legitimate answer in the non-James Harden section of these rankings. Um, was he a star? No. Um, but he's he's played his entire career thus far with the Rockets because he has yet to appear for the Atlanta Hawks. And just a, a phenomenal rebounder, a guy who understands and thrives in his role as a rim runner, as a rim protector, as a guy who isn't asked to do too much on the offensive end, but but excels in the role that he's given. Um, which leads me to my second trivia question of the episode. Oh, man. All right. I'm so ready. Clint Capella has shot 63.4% from the field throughout his career. Among players in NBA history who have taken at least 1,000 shots – where does that rank all time, and who's above him? I just want to point out that if you didn't put the shots qualifier in there, Mitchell Robinson would make this list. That's why I put it in there. I didn't want to give Knicks fans anything right now. DeAndre Jordan. That's, that's a lie. They deserve something. DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan is number one all time. How many people are in front of Clint Capella? That's part of the question. You have to answer that. I'm just. Oh, I'm answering the number, not the name of the player. Number and the names. I'm going to say there are only three players in front of them. Nailed it. And you've already named one of them. Is Ryan Hollins one of them? Ryan Hollins is not one of them. He is 11th. Okay. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to guess the other ones or it's going to be like a dope moment. Do you want me to, do you want me to just tell you the answers here? Yes, please. Put me on my All right, so the top five at fifth, we have Jarrett Allen at fourth. We have Clint Capella 
At third, we have Jakob Pertl. That no, I never would have got that. At two, we have Rudy Gobert, and at one, we have DeAndre Jordan. Um, the top non-current players are Artis Gilmore at sixth, Andres Biedrins at eighth, and Ryan Hollins at eleven. Yo, shout Shaq's out Andres Biedrins at twelve. Andres Biedrins, shout out to him. He's always deserving of a shout out. But anyway, any thoughts on Clint, on Clint Capella besides I, his super efficient field goal percentage? I was laughing while you were talking because you said your argument to him start out with he wasn't a star, but he played his entire career to date with the Rockets. It felt like your case was just going to rest on there. But no, he was he was really good. And I think what stops me from putting him higher, I appreciate his mastery within his little nook and cranny of the NBA. And it's not marginalize the role that he played, but there are a lot of players who would have wanted more to dribble on the offensive end. (laughs) It's the little things. uh, Even, look, he wasn't someone, he still tried to work when the Rockets weren't having him set as many screens where he could hang out in the dunker spot. So I I appreciate all that. It just feels like his tenure with the Rockets kind of flamed out. And then it it took a little too long to get going where they were, they were basically had him on a minutes limit. It felt like for the first two thirds to 75% of his career. And that's just why he could never get as high for me. And I also don't really know how much he elevated the defense. Was he ever this true defensive anchor or was it because the Rockets had some just, you know, solid wings around him at points where you look at Capella was playing with Tucker and, and Ariza. That seems like a big part of it too. So it's not to downplay what he did for the Rockets. I have him at number four. That's pretty damn high. I just, I wonder, I'm going to be interested to see how he fares in Atlanta because they have a lot less, at least veteran defensive talent than some of those. A little, a little less defensive talent. Well, look, they still have Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, these guys who profile as good defenders, but he, Trey Young is awful, and you can't put him in the post like you could with Harden. And so there are going to be new challenges there. But to, to your initial point, and what I think is the most important point, is there are players who would have wanted more at some point, even after they had gotten paid. And I think we've even seen that with Rudy Gobert in Utah, definitely this season where he wants just a little to expand his offensive portfolio a little bit. That does not show a lack of ambition on Clint Capella's part. I just think it shows an understanding and then the capacity to adapt because again, his role was decreased. It seemed like as time went on, at least over the past two seasons in Houston. I think we can look at something as simple as his free throw percentage as a testament to how much he's worked to get better without demanding an increased role. So during his rookie year, admittedly in a very small sample size, he shot 17.4% on free throws. Is that good? That, that's, that's uh, you oh. know, Shaq might call it good, but that's about it. I don't even think um, Chris Dudley would call it good. That's fair. Maybe Chuck Hayes, you know, there are a couple guys. Andres Biedrins. Um, but, you know, he, he elevated that to 37.9% as a sophomore, then 53.1%, then 56 then 636 last year. And he's regressed this season, um, again, in a smaller sample while he was dealing with some some nagging injury issues throughout the year. But just like that ability to to understand what he needs to work on and then actually put in the work. I think that that's a huge testament to what how, how well he's accepted this this smaller role where a lot of players would have wanted more. Um, but He's never seemed like anything but a high-quality teammate and a guy who who does aid the winning cause despite now being 26 years old as of as of the day before we recorded this. So happy belated birthday, Clint! Uh, you know he 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 has he's totally accepted that and he's thrived within it. And regardless of 
the difficulty of that role, the importance of that role, the dependence on having complementary stars around him in that role. He's done it well. I, I totally agree with you. And what I, I think we need to make a distinction between is that the Rockets did not treat him as the best player in that Robert Covington deal this past season because they gave up a first-round pick. However, his value is completely different to them if Russell Westbrook isn't on the team. They just collectively decided they could not have more than one theoretical non-shooter on the floor yep. at all times. And that's where the the real chasm uh, existed between he between what Capella was and what the Rockets actually needed to have on the team because he's still really good. And if he's healthy, if he's not going to deal with these uh, heel issues long-term, I, I think he will make a pretty good impact in Atlanta. I have a trivia question for you, though, before we move on to number one. Oh, that's not allowed. No, it's allowed. How many nicknames – are you on Clint Capella's basketball reference page? I'm not. How many nicknames are listed on his basketball oh, reference page? And bonus points if you can name – I don't think I could name a single one of them. Well, there's only one, and it's Swiss Bank. This is basically my plea. We need a better nickname for Clint Capella, a nationally recognized improvement over Swiss Bank. It's not – I'm not here for it. How many bank shots did he hit with his time with the Rockets? Probably, not probably none because you usually don't bank dunks. Um, but I've always felt like he's one of those guys who doesn't need a nickname. The alliteration works. Capella's a cool name. Like, he's just Clint Capella. CC would be better than Swiss Bank. No, it wouldn't. Yes, it would. I strongly disagree. Is it because you're worried you're going to confuse him with CC Sabathia? Exactly. They look... The pinstripes allow you to tell which one is which, but, you know, like, similarly athletic profiles. Although, shout out to CC Sabathia for getting in great shape after his baseball career. You're now going to think of Clint Capella, though, whenever you have to CC anyone on an email. You're welcome. That's probably true. Who's at number one? Let's unveil this big-ass mystery. I know it's shocking. It's James Harden. He was number one for the fans. He was number one for me. Dan had him down at ninth, which I still don't understand. Um, (laughs) But, you know, even if – let's say that Harden was bad at basketball. He still would have been a candidate for number one because he's played 22,474 minutes for Houston this decade. Capella's in second place at 10,831. Harden has spent more time on the court than any two Rockets combined during the last decade. He spent about as much time on the court as Clint Capella, CC, Patrick Beverly, and Eric Gordon combined over the last decade. So even if we take out his ridiculous offensive game and his underrated defensive game he would still be in this conversation like I I think this is as obvious a number one as we're going to have for any franchise aside from maybe Cleveland well didn't Kyrie have some number one votes for that or am I misremembering maybe he did but he shouldn't have that's fair that's yeah there's I would have said Kemba in Charlotte I don't know how you put anyone over him for that I don't know if he's gonna be I, I think it's just it's a clear case um Something I did look up, though, with Harden. So whether or not you like watching him play, since he's been with the the Rockets, and I should actually change this because now it's going to be a more impressive list. So I'm looking at the 2012-2013 season through now. He has scored 5,428 uh, 5, points on free throws alone. I'm just going to throw out a couple of players who have not even scored that many points during this time. Danny Green. Total, not at the free throw line. J.R. Smith, Deion Waiters, Brandon Knight, DJ Augustine, Ryan Anderson, Tristan Thompson, 
Derek Rose. That's a Frank Ntilikina. That's not even. That's mean. Frank Ntilikina. Frank has absolutely scored ten thousand points since then. I'm just saying. James Harden has scored so many points at the foul line that if you can just look, and I know that you know someone like Danny Green's a role player, but James Harden has scored more points at the free throw line since 2012 than Danny Green has scored in NBA games. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's That's an offensive wizard. It is. It definitely is. Everything about James Harden's offensive game is impressive. Draymond Green's on that list too. But he, anyway, he's number one, and I don't really. There's no intellectual exercise to have here. It's just James Harden is number one. If you want to talk about where he ranks relative to the rest of the league, whether you think he'll go down down as a top, I don't. Where would he, could he go down all time? I, it's probably even hard to have the shooting guard discussion. He's top three. Is that too ambitious? Among or? shooting guards, I think that's too ambitious right now. All right. So, but I think it depends. Well. Yeah, I think it's too ambitious because you're obviously going to have MJ and Kobe ahead of him. Are you going to have Wade ahead of him? Probably. Are you gonna I mean are you calling Jerry West a point guard or a shooting guard? Right. But after after that, I mean top five for sure. I, I think that there is a legitimate scenario in which he goes down as a top twenty player all time. Um but yeah, yeah. I mean in, in the context of this specific conversation about the Rockets, like it couldn't be any more clear. And it's only when you start throwing his name up alongside other legends of the sport that it gets interesting, and that's telling in and of itself. The dearth of rings will hurt him, and then unlike CP3, he definitely has some really bad playoff moments slash stretches to point to. And I think that will work against him heavily in these type of conversations. Whether that's fair or not, I don't know. As my puppy just leapfrogs through his bubble, that was... He's a maniac. Anyway, carry on. Real-life podcasting here, folks. James Harden has scored more points without including his free throws, than Thor. Don't be trash-talking my puppy. He's only 14 I'm not. years old. Yeah, all right. He's a great energy guy. <laughs> Who were some of the honorable mentions? The honorable mentions were uh, were interesting <laughs> on this one. We had uh, we had Kevin Martin at 11. We had Luis Scola at 12. This is in the fan vote only. Um, then tied for 13, we had Tracy McGrady, who, who did not play for Houston during this decade, and Yao Ming, who played uh, five games for Houston during this decade. So Maybe that those person were our... read it as all-time rankings? Oh, no, not that person. Oh, it was multiple those, people. Those, those okay. people. Those people, yes. Both of them appeared on multiple ballots. Um, <laughs> at 15, we had a tie between Kyle Lowry and Lou Williams. Uh, I, th- I think it's easy to forget that Kyle Lowry spent any time in Houston and kind of like had a coach killer reputation before moving to Toronto. Um, but I, I, I personally like to think that he's only played in Toronto throughout his career. It's the only team I recognize. I recognize Absolutely. the Knicks a little bit because it felt like that deal was going to get done. But only the Raptors That's fair. and Knicks. That's it. We'll give you that. We'll give you that. 17, Chuck Hayes. 18, Ryan Anderson. 19, Terrence Jones. 20 was a tie between Carmelo Anthony, Nene, and Omer Ashik because those are three very similar players. Um, and tied at 23rd, we had Corey Brewer, Isaiah Hardenstein, and Robert Covington. Okay. I don't know why. Melo had to be a troll. We played 11 games there, nine games. They weren't very good either. But twice as many as Yao Ming, though, just about. And and to be clear, we also did delete one ballot uh, because it was an obvious troll ballot uh, that had Aaron Brooks at number one, Sam Decker at number two, 
James Harden didn't appear. Joe Johnson and Luke Mbamute got some votes from from that one. Oh, I miss uh, Mbamute. Yeah, so I guess we can at least mention those names because they were relevant enough to show up on that ballot. But, you know, we we do have the ability to to throw out ones that are obviously trying to dilute our process here. Sam Decker definitely filled out that ballot. That's that's my guess. And just try to, like, hide it by only having himself second. Yeah, because if you put yourself first, that we'd automatically think it was him. And maybe he's thinking now that we think it's Aaron Brooks, but we know better. So we do know better. That's the type of deduction that you can expect here at the Hardwood Knox podcast. Do you have anything else to add on this? We went almost a full hour on the best 10 players, the top 10 players that played for the Houston Rockets this decade. I think we covered a lot here. I I still want to know the topic that you are refusing to bring up, but I I suppose we can do that off air and and potentially do a future episode. Yeah, it's it's definitely content for another podcast. It's nothing too, too spicy. But if you would like to maybe be present for that future podcast, please Rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you're getting your podcasts. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. You can also follow us on YouTube at YouTube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. We'll be right there. Until next time, when we will be on the Indiana Pacers. That should be a fun one. We leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, Chuck Hayes, who I tried intensely to get into my top ten, but it just wasn't working out. Shout-out to Chuck Hayes.